0: to the gay community all over this state. My message to you is, so far, a lot of people joined us and rejected Proposition 6, and now we owe them something. We owe them to continue the education campaign that took place. We must destroy the myths once and for all, shatter them. We must continue to speak out, and most importantly... Most importantly, every gay person must come out. As difficult as it is, you must tell your immediate family, you must tell your relatives, you must tell your friends if indeed they are your friends, you must tell your neighbors, you must tell the people you work with, you must tell the people in the stores you shop in, you Once they realize that we are indeed their children and we are indeed everywhere every myth every lie every innuendo will be destroyed once and for all and once once you do you will feel so much better
1: Hi, this is Cody Deglorian. This is Neil Deglorian, and welcome to another episode of Bearded Fruit. We're not dead yet. I, <laughs> it has been a little bit. Of, it has been a while. Since we have, um, since we've done this, yeah, we've taken a, we've been on hiatus. Sir, who are you? I I don't know. Who knows? Is this season three? No, no, no. I'm not even gonna (laughs) even try to like three episodes long. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. no, we had like it's like seventeen. No, so for for those of you who aren't connected to us in other um, digital spheres, um, I got a new job. Yeah, uh, I moved. I switched positions from uh, my uh, programming position, more local to us, to one that's a little bit farther away at a library. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, the last month or so, since we've we've been kind of not podcasting, it's mostly been uh, because it's been a very exhausting transition time to kind of adjust to getting getting through with one job and then diving into a brand new one. But uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, we're not dead. We're not dead, and we're not giving up the podcast. Um, Yay! I guess we're, we're building anticipation for our. Ne- <laughs> Ooh, you got to keep them wanting more. Exactly, that's what you have to do. Exactly. Um, so this week on the podcast, we're going to talk about um, Barry Manilow, and I don't, I don't know if you heard anything recently about Mister Manilow. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know who Barry Manilow is? <laughs> <laughs> It's a um, joke. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. I'm leaving. Foley. Um, no. <laughs> uh, yeah. So there's been news about Barry Manilow, uh, who you know is a is a very famous singer. Um, he came out. Mm-hmm. Barry Manilow came out. He's uh, in his 70s, and uh, just this past week, he came out publicly in an interview with People Magazine.
2: Can I just say really quickly? Sure. Um, So I know who Barry Manilow is. Mm -hmm. I know contextually what his music is like. Uh I can't tell you one of his songs off the top of my head.
1: Oh, Copacabana. Her name was Lola. She was a showgirl. You know that? At the Copa. Copacabana. Anyway. Anyway. (laughs) So, yeah. Copacabana, Mandy, those are the two that I am most familiar with. And so he's, you know, he's like a croony. No,
2: I know. Like, I know.
1: Top guy. I
2: know aesthetically where he fits in. I know contextually and culturally where he fits in. It, it's just yeah. like Prince. Like, I couldn't tell you yeah. what Prince's song sounded like. Yeah. Because oh. I'm literally 12. Yeah. But, um,. I know culturally and like I know the significance. I understand the significance.
1: Yeah, yeah no, and really I just said that as a joke. Um but yeah, he, so he recently came out uh in an interview with People magazine publicly. Uh he revealed in this interview with the magazine that he has been dating his manager, his longtime manager. Gary Keefe, and the two have been together for like um I have like I think thirty or forty years. In the article, it said something like that. And they they were married in uh, April of twenty fourteen. So he's been married this yeah. whole time to his to his manager boyfriend.
2: I feel like that might be a conflict of interest. I mean, you know, whatever. If you're marrying
1: Manilow in two thousand fourteen, <laughs> it's one Manilow. paycheck that you're yeah you're splitting. Whatever. Um, he. He, when he, and in this interview, he, he reveals that he his queerness wasn't exactly secret to everybody. His queerness was really an open secret to everybody in his life, so all the people in his life knew. Uh, so he was out to those people. But he opted to stay silent publicly for all of the decades of his career because he said, quote, I thought I would be disappointing them, my fans, if they knew I was gay, so I never did anything. And just at this point, in 2017, he's coming out publicly, um, and uh, the the interview says that he, his fans have been um, very delighted and they have been, like, super supportive of this. Um, and uh, so now he's out. Um,
2: my question is... Um, I guess my question is, why? <laughs> like, like, why come out if, if that's a really the the case and also like another thing that like i question questioned when i when i read the whole like i thought i would disappoint my fans what about your gay fans mm-hmm. like
1: like what about yeah well i th- <laughs>
2: it gives me feelings
1: i would i would venture to say i mean and i'm not saying like i'm a barry manilow um expert but i would imagine that uh his fans um are more women it's more women fans like straight women fans of a certain age than it was ever really like fans of a certain gay age. fans yeah. um, I mean I guess but I do think like a lot of gay people just assume that he's like the gay community assumed rightfully that he was gay from like day one I mean mm-hmm. Copacabana is a pretty gay song and like, then
2: there's like there's like the whole like oh he performed in bathhouses with Bette Midler yeah it's like that's literally the gayest thing that's ever come out of my mouth and, and I'm of... sure
1: performed with other people too in the bathhouses, bazing.
2: And lots of gay things have come out of my mouth. <laughs> was the end of that joke? <laughs> oh, sorry, but then it's okay. It was
1: a two joke. Oh, it was, it was a, a du- it was a it was a double joke moment. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, oh,
2: yeah. oh. Thank okay you. what
1: other feelings are we having about barry okay so uh, so i there were a lot of people who were very excited and i will say like good for you good for you barry manilow for being able to publicly come out it's great to have another celebrity who is openly gay in the world yay that's good um but i also felt like really queen you waited this why did you wait this long
2: well, and I'm still suspect over the whole, like, okay, why did you feel the need to do it in the first place? If you're going to wait this long and if you're going to be out to everybody who matters in your life, why be out in the public lie-, lie? Or even, like, more so, like, why come out at all? Why not just be? Like, why not just yeah. be? Um, like, why does there have to be an announcement? Why can't you just be and just let it let it happen,
1: you know? Yeah, and I and I felt like... I I could understand Barry Manilow not coming out in like 1980 or something like that. I mm-hmm. get that. I get that you're not going to come out during the height of the AIDS crisis because then people who like celebrities who are, are suspected to be openly gay were then assumed to also have AIDS because of Rock Hudson. And um, I get it. But it's 2017, girl. Mm-hmm. Like. In the last 10 years especially post Ellen coming out and like well post Ellen coming out and then like the revival of her career where she would be able to be openly gay and still incredibly successful at any time during that phase what exactly do you think would be the challenge of coming out when you're seeing years and years of celebrities who are who are out and still very successful mm-hmm. um and I I felt like I was critical of this because it isn't like Barry Manilow has been like married to a woman for all these years and nobody knew he was gay and now he's finally coming out and he's like literally spent 73 years of his life in a closet and now he's free cuz he wasn't in the closet. Mm-hmm. He was out. He was out to everybody who knew him. So he was openly gay in his life and he was married. He was married. So people to a man. To a man he was only not commercially out.
2: <laughs> yeah, he was um, he was, oh uh, I I was gonna it doesn't make sense, so I'm not gonna make it. So never mind, I was gonna yeah. yeah, but like he's he's it's not like he was repressed. It's not like he or or it wasn't like he was abstinent either, which is another thing mm-hmm. that you see where like um, older men just don't do anything and then eventually they can come out and suddenly they're living their gay lives, um, which is great for them. Um, but it was definitely treated as if he was, you know, making this great shocking huge announcement like it was definitely treated by a lot of um, I noticed mostly not gay people were treating him that way, whereas other gay people were like, and another news water is wet yeah, um so so it, it it felt very much so like um people were treating it as if he had like gotten this big old weight off his chest, and that's just simply not what happened. so when, when people were then critical of that, uh, people kind of like lashed out against it, and yes. and it's it's like one thing to be critical of the timing and the actual things surrounding it, and there's another thing to be critical of him as a human, and like there are two different things, and I, I feel like we're we're criticized like we're we're critical of his position, his privilege, um,
1: and society at large, and we're critical of the timing. Like, yes, I'm not critical of Barry Menlo for coming out. Yeah, I'm actually happy, like good. I know what it feels like to be openly and publicly gay and how good that feels and and how, how not hiding a thing feels really good. Mm-hmm. And I'm incredibly happy for a man who feels like he can finally, as a celebrity person, do that. Like, that process is great. But I agree. I think that we still can be critical of, like, I mean, you're literally coming out at the last possible minute. Yeah. You're coming out in the least dangerous time and with the least with the least risk like you've he's really taken no risk what was the risk here mm-hmm. really what was the risk here
2: yeah like there's there's argument like I, I will say that it is like you said earlier it's good to have another successful out gay person like that that is definitely always good and that visibility is good given current political climate that's great and it's great that somebody who was like such a cultural maker At one point, um, can now be seen for his queerness. Like that's great. Um, But I mean, we we had a conversation earlier that I made a point that you didn't understand. But um, it was that uh, Barry Manilow coming out now at this stage in his career means something radically different than Neil Patrick Harris when he came out because he was at the very not the beginning. Like he had obviously worked before, but um, he was kind of reviving his career to a certain extent. He was coming back into public spotlight through a TV show. and it was becoming successful very quickly. I think it was in the second season of How I Met Your Mother when he fully came out. Um, and that means something different, especially like that was, what, 10 years ago? That meant something different. And it meant something different, especially considering his character was such a womanizer. Um, it was like, haha, I'm good at acting. See, I'm super gay. Um, and it just means something different. And, and, and it had different ramifications for his career that clearly worked out okay in the end. Um So, like, I could see somebody treating that coming out as being more impactful and more resonant than Barry Manilow's coming out. I don't think it's very resonant. I think it's a good-for-you situation. I think it's a good-for-society thing. I don't think it really means too much in a macro sense at the
1: end of the day, though. Right. No, I totally agree. Um, And... And I and I guess too also the criticalness of of uh, this conversation about Manilo is is refracted through um my listening to the podcast s-town and i know that you haven't listened to it but and i'm gonna try to do this without spoiling things yeah about the podcast
2: oh I'll just close my ears no
1: but one element of s-town which i is i highly recommend listening to this podcast uh, it's by the creators of serial and this american life and it's it's really some stunning work all around even if some of it is a little uh on the problematic side um But one element of S-Town, uh, is an exploration of one of the characters in the, and I say characters because they're like real people, but one of the people, uh, in the podcast, um, their experience of queerness in the deep South Mm. and it, it, it explores the difficulty of, of being really out and, and what that repression actually is like. And, um... I felt like, you know, that in, in many ways, people saying, you know, leave Barry Mountain like, don't be critical of that. He took him forever to come out. They're sort of imagining that it was like the S town experience of being legitimately repressed and mm-hmm. feeling like your life is potentially in danger. If anybody finds out that you're a queer, um, Instead of what the reality was for Manilow, which is like, he's like famous. He's completely protected by his money and his privilege and, and his station in life. Mm-hmm. And he was out to all of his friends, like everybody in his life knows about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, really when we talk about, about the, the, the challenge of coming out, we're really talking about people like, like the central figure in S town is John B. Macklemore, his story. That's the real struggle. Um, like we're more the rapper. No, 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 no. Not even close. Oh. Spelled differently, too. Um, and then just sidebar if you have not yet listened to S Town, I would say, like, finish listening to this episode and go start listening to S Town because it's uh, really fantastic. And uh, the, the parts of it that deal with queerness are illuminating. Good job, to keeping be sure. Them here first. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Stay say to, say to the end. We're not uh, done yet. Yeah. Filler. So one of. One of the responses, I think, t- that that bothered me and that I saw frequently was, um, of course, a response to the response. Uh, I saw a lot of people saying something that sort of circled around this notion that being critical of Barry Manilow coming out and being a person who's critical of Barry Manilow coming out is the reason it took him so long to come out. Like, you're the reason. Lies, Liza Manelli, Lies. I completely agree, and like it made me furious every time I saw mm-hmm. it because I feel like it's a trap that, that's a rhetorical trap that we tend to fall into. And I don't even know that this is like specific to just the queer community. I don't think so, but it's the context in which I see it the most. Mm-hmm. That, um, that the, the, this like idea that as as a queer person being critical of someone that is somehow equal to or equally responsible for marginalization, as the literal structures of marginalization that oppress us. That we're that that's somehow on the same you guys are being just as bad as right. the Westboro Baptist Church, and it's like, no, no, not at all, not mm-hmm. not even remotely close. Mm-hmm. You know, the fee the, we are not the reason. Me being critical of him and saying, hey, you know what? We probably could have used you in 2014 when you got married, when mm-hmm. we were all fighting for our rights to be married too in our places.
2: Yeah, it would have been nice to have that visibility. Right, then.
1: we could have used you then. Is not the same as institutional and system and systemic homophobia mm-hmm. that. That keeps so many queer people um, in the closet, it's in also more dangerous like, situations. It's
2: also like coming from that, like, how dare you criticize anything queer? Kind of mindset where it's like, no, we can actually be critical of each other and ourselves. That's actually part of what makes people grow is the fact that like we are sus- we are suspect to criticism by doing this and we like openly welcome it. Mm-hmm. And when we do get criticized, it's OK because we're adults who can handle yeah. that. Yeah. Um, And also because sometimes valid points are brought up and it's like, wow, cool. We didn't think of that. Um, And that's just what being any kind of a creator, like you're, you're open to that. So doing anything in the public eye, you're open to some kind of response. Um, And when the response is something as like respectable as like, Hey, like good for you. It would have been nice, but good for you. Like, what is there to complain about that? That's actually a very valid thing to say. It's like, I put the milk back in the fridge. It took me six hours, but I did it like, (laughs) You know, milk is spoiled. Yeah, yeah, like I did the thing, but but I did the right thing. I did the right thing. So like, you should not criticize me for not doing it when I should have done it.
1: And I also, and I get wanting to shut down snark. Yeah, I get that there's there's a distaste for the response of oh really bitch you think oh you just coming out now like we all fucking knew that Mm -hmm. I get like the Killjoy
2: activists where it's like well you shouldn't be happy anyway because syria like <laughs>
1: yeah, right like i get that you want to take that kind of you want to say hey that's not helpful but I think it's important to be able to say that's not helpful. Not like, oh, you're being just as bad. Mm-hmm. You are the reason people don't want to come out. Mm-hmm. Really, bitch? Caddy uh, queens like you. Right, like, really? We're the reason that people don't come it's out? It's us
2: and not like, you know, oppressive parents or, you know, yeah. school systems that don't support their queer students. Religions it's, that it's, support. It's, right, right. But it's us.
1: And l- legislators passing laws that actively oppress Queer people of oh, all but kinds, it's, but it's us. But it's us. It's, it's us. me saying oh. Barry Menlo should have probably come out when it mattered more. That's a prop like that. Mm. Mm.
2: That's that's clearly the reason why. I mean, we are mm-hmm. basically Hitlers, um, and we should be treated as such. We are gay Hitlers, and then
1: I and I feel like it has a large degree to do with with the privilege of living in the kind of queer spaces we can make for ourselves now. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that we often forget that it is not. It is not universally common and it's not a long tradition of being able to carve out queer friendly spaces both in your real life and in a digital life where we can literally interact with people who are friendly and open to us and supportive and protective of us all the time. And at the same time, though, there's the caveat of being homogenous. Yeah. Like
2: how many how many random bear profiles fo- like are friends with me on Facebook who are literally only friends with other bears and like I accept them because whatever yeah but like h- how many of those people ex- I. I, 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 there's this like friend that I see who will post just like the most like explicit sexual things on Facebook and it always catches me off guard because then I'll be like oh there's a picture of my niece or something like that where like uh, like oh this is my friend from high school with like their family and then here's this guy talking about how he's a power bottom like good for you sir but clearly you have a m- much more curated list of who you're friends with yeah. uh, people you've never met like myself um, so like good good on you but also like that's a thing that happens where, like, like people just post pictures and it's just, just other gay people or just other white gay people. Like, let's be real. Um, tangentially aside, um, we create these safe spaces, but then sometimes they become too homogenous. So then when criticism does come, it's just kind of like, no, this is a safe space. Yeah. No, we can't be critical because we're all precious bare snowflakes.
1: Precious Bear Snowflakes. That's that's a new t-shirt. Yeah. Um, next next to we're, we're both Hitlers. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I feel like we we forget that, that. Well, but then there are also people in our community now who have never lived in a time other than that, mm-hmm. who have never necessarily lived in a place where you literally never knew other gay people and had no way to contact them. Mm-hmm. When I was 18, the only time I met a queer person I had to like go to the one queer bar I knew about in my small Louisiana town. and had meet, to
2: walk uphill both ways.
1: You know, like <laughs> 15 miles in the snow. Well, there wasn't snow in Louisiana. <laughs> in the snow in Lafayette. No, but, you know, like there wasn't, there was, it wasn't like I could find some gay people on Facebook and it wasn't like I could find gay positive things on Tumblr. Mm-hmm. The, it was literally porn and go out to try to find a gay bar if you could find out where one was. Yeah. And, we forget that that there one. There are people still living like that. There are many queer people who still live in those kind of spaces where access to queer positive people and queer positive spaces is limited, if if existent at all, mm-hmm. and that we're incredibly privileged to live that way. Mm-hmm. We're incredibly privileged, and and I feel like, which I guess like leads to like the big the big idea, is that. We have I feel like somewhere along the way we have we have divorced the idea the, the 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 notion of coming out as a vital political action and a vital responsibility to queer people that it seems now that there are a lot of queer people and and I would venture to say that it's mostly gay men mm-hmm. because we're the most privileged of the LGBT group um white gay men anyway that we we, have started to see coming out as a thing we can do if we want to, mm-hmm. if we feel like it, that you, you know, like, Oh, you don't have to, you don't have to well, ever. Or that it, it it's like, it's like a luxury yeah. or, or a thing you can do if you feel like it instead of, you don't have to put a word to it. You can just be, yeah. Instead of coming out being, What it is, which is a real, it's a vital political action. It's a Mm -hmm. responsibility that we have to other queer people to be visible in the world. And it's also a daily act. Yeah, absolutely. Like, coming out is still a political necessity. The privilege of being able to choose not to not reveal your queerness to other people is a massive privilege.
2: But, I mean, that's different from legitimately being unsafe in being out correct like correct. like I, I just want to make sure that that's clear that like we're, we're talking very specifically barry manilow
1: and those kinds of people yes the well liber- even me me and you what me like i i feel that way i feel like i'm very privileged i could choose to not be open about my queerness mm-hmm. without consequence the consequence my boot up your ass (laughs) but i'm into that
2: oh no (laughs) no No, you're not no i'm not actually like like if you're gonna make a joke like that at least be accurate about your kinks
1: oh busted um you know and I, i you're right like for people who are unsafe um for in which it would be unsafe or you would you know like your your housing security would disappear or your ability to live safely physically safely emotionally safely it's okay not to come it's out it's okay not to come out but that means it's even more important for those of us for who others, can yeah. to do to feel responsible to come out mm-hmm. and be out and be visible
2: yeah it's one of those if you can you should situations absolutely um, because i mean And that's, that's the, that's the thing. That's the whole thing where if somebody feels like they can't, then sure, don't. Um, we're not like, we're not about forcing people out either. We're not about like making sure that everybody knows that like, like we're not about that. But if you can be safely out, then why aren't you? Because the personal is political Carol Hainish. Um, it's so important that if you can be safe and out, that you need to be safe and out.
1: Yes, because it matters. It, mm-hmm. You know, that it's important. There there are studies that say, that have shown that when people um, spend time speaking to a queer person, an openly queer person, it improves their ability to empathize mm-hmm. and be like contact theory. The more that you know, when you know people who are queer, the less likely you are to hate them. The, the more likely, the more you know any kind of person. From any community, the less likely you are to hate them.
2: And how could you hate me? I have such a good sense of style and color relationships.
1: You do. Do I know? Yeah, you do. I think oh, okay. so. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, you yeah. know, and I and we. It's it's important, I think, for us to recognize, and it's 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 at the heart of why I was critical about Barry Manilow choosing to come out so late. Like your coming out could have mattered to people in the closet in dangerous places. It could have mattered to kids who had moms who were homophobic, but listen to Barry Manilow. Manilow. Like you could have, like you're coming out. Yeah. Maybe you would have sold a few less greatest hits collections, Mm -hmm. but you could have helped lives. You could have helped the community that you're, that you're a part of and that you know, and your friends know, and your, your fucking husband knows Mm -hmm. that you're a part of. You could help them.
2: And that's not to say like, help me Barry Manilow. You're my only hope. Right.
1: But you're one of the But hopes. you're, yeah,
2: yeah, there's there's always potential. There's always potential to, to make positive impact just by being out and, and alive and existent.
1: And I feel that way about people who aren't famous. I think if you are queer, and I, like you said earlier, if you are queer and have the ability to be safely out, you should. think about how many, um, not only
2: like... Uh, think about how many trans people that laura jane grace helped by coming out and yes and also like on the flip side how many weird punk bros that like suddenly are okay with trans issues and understand and and know about trans issues mm-hmm. because of her yes um and and think about like like how how that has affected just like um punk scenes as well as just like uh other lives because i mean when we saw her in cambridge there were lots of like androgynous people all around mm-hmm. on like all ends of the spectrum and it was great and it was wonderful and it was also great to know that we were in a safe space yeah around yeah. all these like leather clad punk looking dudes totally. um it was great to know that's like oh well they like laura jane Grace, so they're going to be cool with us existing in this space uh we can exist in this space with them because they're here for her um And there was, there was, that was like lovely to just be in that. And we
1: got to experience that because she came out. Yes. And we would not have been able to experience that otherwise. And I, you know, I'm not famous. I know. I know it's disappointing to you. What? (laughs) (laughs) I know you're, you're really sad that I'm not famous, but, but I'm, I'm not a famous person, but I know in my experience, many people for whom I was the first gay person they'd ever met. And like, I know what I've I have seen the transformative power of being an openly gay person and you can actually take people who freely use the word faggot and were homophobic and change you can like your interaction with them could sometimes change them into people who are loving and accepting and and well and that's where like our passing privilege comes in handy too because mm-hmm. it's like oh they're just a couple dudes right. But, you know, it's... Haha, drag references. We still have a responsibility to our community to be open and to be out and to be visible. Because I think sometimes it can be easy to be complacent and think that the work is over for a lot of us. Um, but it, it's not. There are still large parts of our community who experience deep and, and, and profound amounts of marginalization. And Barry you me we are in positions to help change that we're in positions to help create space for queer people to live safely Mm -hmm. and well you're gonna
2: hate me for saying this it kind of makes me wonder if we should move back to the midwest or if we should move to one of those spaces because like where what does that mean contextually here versus contextually elsewhere what does us existing as queer people out and loud in frickin' Hartford, Connecticut mean versus Hattiesburg, Mississippi? Like, what does that mean? Dif- it's different. Contextually, yes. it's different.
1: I mean, I think, yes, absolutely. I feel like there's like there's some degree of guilt that I don't live in a place that is deeply homophobic where I can go out and make massive change in, like... My hometown or we're going to Owasso, Oklahoma or someplace put, like
2: that. Put on masks. We're going to put on capes. We're going to become the gay crusaders.
1: But understand. Uh, but see, and this is and it's why. Why whenever the presidential election happened, we came back to this and why even though we've taken some time off, I wanted to I knew we were going to come back to this. Because in a way, through this podcast, we actually are in those places.
2: Yay.
1: I mean, we are. We are
2: everywhere. We are
1: in places that need this conversation. And so even if we're not necessarily, you know, marching around the streets of some Oklahoma or Missouri town or Nebraska or Louisiana, our, these conversations are being heard by people in those places. And so like a queer person, we've seen people who have said that, this podcast makes a safe space for them.
2: Yeah. And
1: and so we are you can live in Connecticut and still change the world. We just don't have to deal with it immediately in our daily lives and
2: That's right, Johnny
1: Mick Yale undergrad, you too can change the world from Connecticut. And I and I don't know. I mean, this is probably a larger more complicated conversation that I would be interested in having other people in on, but I think to the um, You know, dealing with privilege doesn't necessarily mean you have to actively remove it from your life. I think if you have privilege, you acknowledge that it exists and do what you can. But you don't have to, like, acknowledge it exists and then move to Gaydon, Louisiana, and be a drag queen. Like, like you don't have to do that. I don't have to, like, move from my... My place. I thought you said gay dong. And no, I was like no. There's a gay dong. No, but it's gay dong. Me that's gay dong, yeah. May you go down to gay dong for the dog festival. Um, I'm gonna <laughs> unplug your mic, <laughs> man. No, I bet everybody wants to hear that Cajun accent, though. As Y'all always, all been wondering that, yeah. Thank no. you for listening. No, <laughs> no. I mean, like, I feel like privilege-wise, acknowledging it and doing the things that you can in your space are valid and it's not like you're being invalid by simply not erasing it. Just remember that while you go on to your new big fancy
2: job, remember that. <laughs> remember what you just said. Yeah. I mean, I'm working on it. Learning life lessons I'm through working. podcasting.
1: Um so that's the episode for this week. As always, um, we we are happy for those of you that are still listening and haven't abandoned us for other cooler podcasts like S Town. Did you leave? Come get back here, Jennifer, yeah. <laughs> with a pH. Jennifer, Michael, I see you listening to S Town. Tell me what you think. Damn um, it, Isaac. Uh we uh, we are so grateful uh to everybody who is still supporting the podcast and we will we'll do our best to get back into a super regular uh swing of making podcasts. We're going to start eating Activia. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to be super regular. Yeah. Pure for men. Uh, what's
2: that? You haven't seen those commercials? I yeah, but I have no idea what it is. It's what just, is it? It's just it's a fiber supplement that oh. makes people bottom better. And that's why they get drag queens to sell it, like Katya Alaska.
1: That's the whole point. God, that's too much for me. It's not it's, enough. It's, it's maybe not enough for it's, me. it's actually just right. Okay. Pure for men. And we will see you next week. Bye. You've been listening to Bearded Fruit. Politics and culture through an intersectional queer lens. Now if you enjoyed this week's episode, head over to our website, beardedfruit.com, to get more info about this week's show and to check out some of our other web features, like our weekly Ask a Dad advice column or our fruit stands section, which gives you ways to bring the bearded fruit conversation into your community. You can also connect with us on Facebook at Bearded Fruit and on Twitter at Bearded Fruit Pod. And if you have some feedback on this week's episode, or questions to ask us, or just want to share an idea for an upcoming episode, give us a call at 860-785-0633. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or find us on SoundCloud. And as always, thanks for listening.